0: Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Uh, my name is Colton LaBeouf, and I'm the uh, director of groups and discipleship here at City Church, and I am uh, a proud leader of the Loudest Life group at the church, so... Sorry about them, you guys. When, uh, whenever we have a scripture reader up, my group is always the one that scares all the kids in the kids' ministry with how loud we're yelling. Uh, this is my second time preaching up here, um, so I guess that means that either the first one wasn't so bad or they're just slow on paperwork around here. But either way, it's a joy to be in front of you guys again this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians 2. We'll get there eventually. Uh, but while we're getting there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw up a, uh, a statement here, which is probably the understatement of the century, and is that people are frustrating. Uh, would you agree? Like anywhere from, uh, from mildly frustrating to mind-numbingly infuriating how frustrating people can be. Uh, before I worked here at City Church, I worked in several different industries. And the one that I ran into the most frustrating uh, situations and people was when I was working in restaurants. Um, if any of you have worked in a restaurant, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, and for those of us who haven't worked in there, um, I hope to give you a little bit of insight today. Uh, I hope that every, I, I wish that everybody could have a, at least one restaurant job. Just so you know what, what people have to go through. Um, if nothing else, it would give you compassion for your servers and baristas. Um, If not that, then you would be grateful for every other job you have for the rest of your life. (laughs) Um, So for those of you who have worked in restaurants, you know how difficult people can be, both employees and customers. Um, And those of you who have made it through life without having to work in the food industry, I'll give you a couple examples um, from me managing a fast food restaurant. Uh, This location that I was just starting to work at was really struggling. Um, Like the operations director told me, to lose less money. That's your goal, is to just lose less money, please. So I was just there to stop the bleeding. Uh, Not really the most enticing offer looking back on it. Probably should have turned it down, but I was looking to prove myself for something to someone. I don't know why, but not a great time. Uh, There was an employee I had there, and his name was Justin. And Justin would always do this weird thing where he would drink and party every night, Um, which is fine, unless you have a job during the day and you should be sleeping at night. And you also realize that drinking and partying every single night doesn't actually better your life in any way, which was the case for Justin. Uh, We had to call Justin on the phone several times before every shift just to make sure that he was awake and that he was, in fact, coming in for a shift. Frustrating. He had access to an alarm, yet he couldn't be bothered to set it to come in and make money and fuel his habits. Had another employee that I was training say to my face, I don't care enough about the customer to clean their tables. Um, so that's, that's kind of frustrating as a manager. I thought that uh, it was a different problem. I thought it was just negligence and neglect, and it turns out that they shouldn't be a server at all. <laughs> and I have uh, experienced a seemingly infinite amount of frustrations with the restaurant world. Those are just a couple of them. Um, none at City Church, though. This job has been Sunshine and Daisies. I have nothing to complain about, no issues relationally, haven't had any conflict or discomfort with anybody on staff here. (laughs) And if you haven't noticed, sarcasm is my passion. (laughs) So the reality is for us that we all have frustrating people in our lives. Maybe for you, it's your coworkers, it's your classmates, it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your in-laws, your outlaws, your mechanic, your barista. Maybe for you, the most frustrating person in your life is someone that you're closest with. Maybe it's your wife or your kiddos, your roommates or your siblings. Maybe it's somebody in your life group, and maybe it's Kent, especially after that sermon he just gave on ideology a couple weeks ago. (laughs) You will be frustrated with someone in your life at some point, and probably on a semi-regular basis. If you haven't figured that out already, welcome to life on planet Earth. Uh, The only way we won't get frustrated with people is if you live in the woods by yourself like a hermit, or if you're 100% perfect 100% of the time. And can I get a show of hands of who in here is perfect 100% of the time? Okay, didn't see any hands up, not even the Enneagram ones. Uh, Maybe a couple of Enneagram eights had their hands up, but before you ask, I don't want to argue with you about it, you're not perfect. There really isn't a realistic way to avoid every frustrating situation. And if if that's true, it seems like it would be helpful to at least know what to do with those frustrations when we inevitably run into them. So this morning, I'm gonna lay out a couple of ways that we respond that cause more harm than good. And then we'll look at the scripture together and talk about some ways that we are called to be different from the world for the sake of the world. Does that sound good? Great. So tell me if this sounds familiar. You find yourself in a frustrating situation. Let's say somebody in your life group goes on a rant about a topic you don't particularly care about or you don't want to talk about tonight. Or maybe your roommate who knows how to push all your buttons decide that today is your day to be terrorized and he just starts doing everything that you don't like them to do. Maybe you get cut off in traffic and some bozo makes you miss the light and then when you get to work a coworker is taking your parking spot. That is frustrating. Maybe one of your kids just goes on the why dad rant all the time and they just, why, 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 and just, oh man, another one of these why questions. Or maybe they say a four-letter word at school and now you have to deal with that situation with their teacher. So what happens there is we get frustrated. Ah, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? This is frustrating. I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm upset, and quite frankly, I'm hurt. So what do we do about it? Well, we don't want to freak out. We don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is. We don't want to lose our temper. Be calm. Don't freak out. So what do we do? I'm just going to go check in with somebody else and make sure that I'm not crazy. And I just, I just need to vent a little bit. And we gossip. You can dress it up as processing or venting if you like. But the reality is when we go to other people to share our frustrations about somebody else with the goal of finding emotional release or winning them over to our side, that is gossip. And typically, one of two things will happen here. Your friend will say, yeah, that's tough. That guy's a butthead. I can't believe he did that to you. You're right. That guy's the worst. And then you'll feel validated in your emotions and you're hurt. Or they won't say that, and you're forced to go find somebody else who will. But whether that is the first person we talk to, or the second, or the third, or fourth, or the 20th person, when somebody finally agrees with us and affirms our frustrations, here's what it does for us. We get more frustrated, and we feel justified in being frustrated. We haven't really dealt with the tension in our hearts, the frustration, and the emotions that it caused. What we've done is we've pacified those frustrations with self-righteousness. We've already decided that we're right, and we went and found somebody who would confirm that for us. And then we say, B- boom, two against one, I'm right, you're wrong. What a relief. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't actually experience any relief from doing that. We don't usually experience any relas- lasting relief from just venting our frustrations with somebody else. You see, what we, we've told ourselves we're doing is we're venting or we're processing so that we can deal with this frustration. But most of the time, that's not what happens. Most of the time, we actually feel more justified and more righteous in our frustration, which makes us more frustrated the next time it happens. It ends up having the opposite effect that we thought it would and we hoped it would. And the next time we get frustrated by this specific situation again, it resurfaces and we're more frustrated. It's like we're, we've got one in the chamber. We're already ready to be frustrated. The situation happens again. And so here we go again. We go back through the cycle, only this time there's momentum going through it. So when you go to vent to your friend, you say, can you believe that they did this again? I can. I knew it was going to happen. You say, look, they did it again. Can you believe it? I should have known better to think that they would change. Mm. Are you serious. We build up resentment. We build up bitterness. And for some of us, this is the entire nature of our friendships. We've got entire friendships on people, with people, based on us venting and processing and complaining and them telling you, you're right, that person sucks. We have a relationship that's based on complaining and commiserating with one another. And so the cycle continues on and on, over and over, until eventually we become so frustrated that we run off the rails like a runaway train. We get so emotionally entangled and confused that we do things that we know are wrong. We lash out, we yell, we say things we know we shouldn't, things that you couldn't imagine doing. You just get so um, entangled and and sometimes it's so extreme that it feels like an out-of-body experience that you're looking up at yourself, yelling at somebody else, freaking out, things that you would never do if you were of a sober mind, so to say. Or maybe for us, uh, it's more subtle than all that. Maybe for us, we let it out in bursts with passive-aggressive comments, or we respond in in kind, and we do the same thing, frustrating thing to that person that they did to us. Or maybe for us, it's a little bit more subtle than that and more covert than that. We start going after their reputation. We tell people they should stay away from them. I wouldn't trust them, I'm not gonna tell you why because I don't want to gossip, but just don't get too close to them. They're not worth the trouble. And then maybe for some of us, we don't take it out on anybody else at all, but we turn it in towards ourselves. We don't lash out at somebody else, we just become a martyr instead. We project our frustration and pain on others and we start to see every situation as being frustrated Every person is being frustrated. And we grow this generalized discontentment for every situation. We convince ourselves that no one could possibly love us in the way we need or even see us. So probably the best option is to check out, get through life group, and I'm just going to get home and watch a ton of Netflix. Now you might hear all that and you say, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds fair. Like if somebody made you frustrated and hurt your feelings, you can be mad at them, that's fine. You can talk to other people about it. And maybe it is fair, but let me ask you something. Is that actually helpful to anybody? Think about it for a minute. The only possible scenario where lashing out at somebody or manipulating to manage our pain, the only way that that's helpful for the other party is if we somehow bully them into repenting. And when has that ever worked out for us? Have you ever been bullied into repentance? I doubt it. Now, the real danger that I see here um, is that we don't end up addressing the pain in our hearts. We don't end up addressing the tension because we indulge our self-pity with aggression. Maybe we indulge our self-pity just by sitting on it. We don't lash out, we bottle it up, pretend it's not a problem, and we end up making ourselves miserable, discouraged, and discontent. We drown our resentment with bitterness. And we never end up stirred to compassion for the other person. We never end up stirred to compassion for ourselves. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Maybe a little too familiar, a little too uncomfortable. So as we've been saying this entire series, we are called to be different from the world. We're called to be a city on a hill. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be distinct from the world for the sake of the world. And that second part there is key. Uh, We're not called to be different and distinct just so that we can feel better about ourselves or tell everybody how much better than them we are. We're called to be different that we might show the world what Jesus is like and what life with Jesus is like. That they would see God in us and be reconciled to him. Or as it says in Matthew 5, they would glorify your Father in heaven. So how are we called to be different? Specifically this morning we're talking about how it relates to interpersonal frustrations. And as followers of Jesus, I would say that it starts here. You are not the main character of the story. Uh, Look with me at Philippians 2, and I'll read it for us. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So, Paul here is writing this letter to a ch- the church in Philippi, and he's saying that if you guys have indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then keep going. Don't just stop at receiving for yourself, serve others, love others, take care of your brother and sister. Paul is saying, hey guys, I would love it if you continue to serve other people the way that you have yourself been served by Jesus. It's kind of like when you go to Starbucks and uh, the guy in front of you paid for your drink and the guy in front of them paid for their drink and you get it and Paul is saying here, don't be the guy that says, sweet, thanks for the free coffee, rock and roll and then just walk away. Uh, Keep it going. Don't be that guy. Instead, verse five says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of the servant and being found in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what God has done for us, guys. The creator, the creator of the universe for our sake chose humility, a kind of humility that we can't truly comprehend. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-capable God that we worship today chose to put on flesh and bone. And He lived, he died, and he rose to rescue us. Paul's saying here again, think about Jesus and think about how he's dealt with us. He didn't use his power against us. He, in many ways, set aside his power and position so that he could empathize with us and meet us where we're at. Verse 12 says, therefore, or because of all of this, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to, to will and to act in order to fill, fulfill his good purpose. In other words, Paul is saying here, don't forget what Jesus has done for us, and let's learn from him how he thinks and how he acts. acts. And then he goes on to tell us how we're to respond here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may, may become blameless and pure, Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold, fast, hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. You see, Jesus didn't gossip or complain about us. He didn't use his power to bully us. But instead, he made himself our servant. And we should learn to treat others in the same way. Stay away from grumbling and arguing. Complaining and gossiping, for those of you who haven't noticed there. Because that's not what God does with us. Scripture says elsewhere that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Jesus doesn't bully us into repenting, into changing. He loves us so extravagantly that we become stirred from the heart to repent. And we are called to be a people who respond with kindness, even when we have every right to respond with aggression. Paul is saying here that as we become more like God, we look less and less like the world. And we'll stand out like stars in the sky as we hold fast to the word of life as we continue to pursue Jesus. Sounds a lot like a city on a hill, doesn't it? What a coincidence. So in light of all that, let's look back at the situation that we started with. You find yourself in a frustrating situation. Your life group member rants Your roommate pushes your buttons, you get cut off in traffic, lose your parking spot, your kid says a four-letter word, all the frustrating stuff again. And what happens? We get frustrated. Ah, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? Wow, this is so frustrating. I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm upset, and frankly, I'm hurt. We get emotional, and there's tension in our hearts that has to be dealt with. Now, here's the difference for us as followers of Jesus. Jesus. Here is our magic bullet, is we have God. The king of kings, the provider, the protector, the wonderful counselor is also Emmanuel, which means God with us. The spirit of God dwells within us. How many of us in here truly understand that we can receive everything our soul needs from God? We can receive all the love, acceptance, validation, empathy, compassion, that our hearts desire straight from God. That my brothers and sisters is what's different about us. We aren't solely at the mercy of those around us to meet the needs of our hearts. We have a God who longs to care for us. And we have the option to first go to God with our emotions, with our pain, with the tension in our hearts. And Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16 says it this way. And we'll put it up on the screen for you. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, who is our great high priest because of the way that he rescued us is able to empathize with us. He gets it. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. He knows what it's like to be rejected, to be blamed, accused, and punished. Scripture says that he himself bore our shame on the cross. And because of this, we are free to approach God without fear now, this doesn't mean for us that it has to be perfect or it has to be pretty. There are f- quite a few psalms that are brutally honest and vulnerable and are really hard to read. There's some, some serious venting to God in the Psalms there. Some of it would be very uncomfortable to 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 say up here on Sunday, but it's in the Bible, it's prayers to God. And one of my favorite things about God is that He doesn't require us to be perfect. Yet, in the same breath, he offers us a challenge and encouragement to become more like him. We can trust that with God we'll be met with mercy and grace, and God will help us in our time of need. And the best part of, of all of that is that we don't have to do it alone. You don't have to figure it out by yourself. And this is where we can come to our brothers and sisters and we can ask for help. We can say, Hey, I am in a very frustrating situation. I'm trying to take it to God, but I'm struggling. I don't see how he can be good in this situation. I don't know how to be thankful, and I sure as heck don't know what to do about it. So, the difference here between going to our friends after we've been trying to process with God versus the gossip that we were talking about earlier is this. Since we have taken our frustration and pain to Jesus, we are no longer propelled by our tension and frustration, rather, we are dealing with it directly. The goal here is no longer for an emotional validation or social allegiance, but it's for the purpose of them helping us learn to obey Jesus. And in the process, we give a brother and sister an opportunity and space to help spur us on, and anybody around us who's witnessing these conversations is getting to see a glimpse of the gospel. And where do we go from here? So after we've gone to God, when we receive the healing in our hearts, compassion and help from God and our fellow believers, we have the freedom now to respond with a clear mind and an unburdened heart. And as followers of Jesus, the way that we're called to respond is with intercession, which is prayer going on behalf of others to God. We're called to be people who pray for one another and we're called to, be a pe- a pe- we're called to do this for anyone who hurts us anybody who wrongs us, anybody who frustrates us, all the way down from our, our best friends all the way down to our absolute worst enemies. Our response in every situation and every frustration is to pray, to intercede for that person. And don't just take my word for it. Look up with me at the screen. And this is Jesus talking in Matthew 5 here. Starting in verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hurt your enemy. But I tell you, Now, I do want to say something about this passage. Some of us hear this, and we're looking at it, and we're tracking, we're tracking, it sounds great, and then you get to that last verse where it says, be perfect, design perfect, and you say, ah, that's too much, I don't want to listen to that, and then you don't do anything up there. No, don't do that. Don't ever do that reading scripture. Obey the things that you do understand that are pretty clear, and then the parts that you don't, just dig into this. So the word here for perfect can better be understood as mature or whole. God is saying, be whole because I am whole. Jesus here isn't being a little teacher's pet. He's just not just trying to frustrate us. He's challenging us to grow in obedience and become more like him. Jesus here says that the world plays for an eye, by, eye for an eye rule. Uh, but for, as for us, we are to pray for our enemies, to petition God on their behalf. And Jesus tells us that this is how we are to respond to enemies who persecute us. And how much more should we respond Be responding in prayer to our brothers and sisters who frustrate us. Now, having said all of that, I want to leave us today with a couple of encouragements. Specifically for intercession, which is going to God on behalf of others. But let's make sure that here we put the first things first. We must choose to go to God first to address the pain and tension of our hearts And once we've received the compassion from God, we've received the validation, we've received, we've dealt with what's going on within us, only then will we be able to pray with compassion for others. All right, so here's a few tips to get us started with praying for others. First thing I'll say is pray with humility. Choose to start this whole process as if you haven't figured everything out. You don't have to be perfect to start praying for other people. You don't have to know all the right words. You don't have to have the longest prayers. You don't have to have the perfect space. You don't have to spend four hours daily in prayer when you first start. And you don't have to figure it out by yourself. Luke 11, Jesus is taught the disciples how to pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus said that we don't need to ramble on with lengthy words because God already knows what we need before we even ask. Romans 8 says that even when we don't know the words to pray, the Spirit himself will help us. Exodus 17 gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to pray together. You don't have to do this alone. My encouragement with you is be humble, start small, pray from your heart. It's not like one of those job postings for an entry-level job that says you have to have five years of experience. We're all on the journey from the one who has never prayed for somebody else, all the way to the hearers of the faith, the people that we read their journal entries for inspiration. We're all learning and we're all growing day by day. So don't let a lack of experience keep you from starting to pray for other people. The second encouragement I have for us today is to pray with persistence. Choose to create a habit of praying for people that God's placed in your life. Just like everything else that requires discipline, intercession is not easy. You have to make a conscious choice to do it. And I've learned personally that it is easier to create a habit than it is to manufacture willpower to do something. So if you're waiting for, for you to feel it to start praying for people, I would say just, just don't. Don't even think about it. Just make a habit. Decide that you're the type of person who prays for people in your life, who intercedes for others, and then create a simple habit to do it. If you're a calendar person mark off a time a specific time for you during the week to pray for people my wife does this thing where she sets phone alarms for situations of people that she's praying with so every day at nine o'clock she gets an alarm to pray for somebody maybe it's every tuesday she gets an alarm to pray for this situation every wednesday she gets an alarm to pray for this and when she sees it on her phone she takes a couple minutes and she starts praying I always have a whiteboard up that's got people's names on it, everybody that I work with, all my friends and the other people I'm praying with. And whenever I go into my office, I see my whiteboard. I see certain areas of people to pray for. I've seen people do printouts where they print something out and stick it on their, on their fridge. I've seen people write sticky notes and put it all over their house just so every time they walk by the sticky note, they see a name of one of their friends and they're stirred to pray for them. But whatever you need to do, Work intercession into your schedule and create a habit of praying for other people. And the third encouragement that I have for you today is to bless them. Jesus said to pray for your enemies, but he also said to love them. Romans 12 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. At a, at a bare minimum here, guys, we're, we're called to respond with kindness. Kindness. And I'm not talking about the passive-aggressive kind, the self-righteous kind that's just for show, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's a little bit us just lashing out at them, just trying to be kind about it. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about true kindness, not just showing a cold shoulder to somebody. And if you find that you're unable to be kind to a person or be kind in a situation, it's probably a good sign that you need to go back to God because there's something in your heart that needs to be dealt with first. Another way to bless them is with encouragements. When was the last time that you called out the way that you see God at work in someone's life? And if you've, been, if you've ever been a recipient of that kind of encouragement, that was unprompted. You know how powerful it was for you. So why don't we make a habit of doing that for other people? You do this for the people that you're praying for. And if you do this, you'll be surprised by how much God changes your heart. Even if you don't want to do it, by creating the simple habit, deciding you're somebody who prays for others and encourages others, you you will be shocked by the compassion that God gives you for them. And then there are times where blessing our brother and sister looks like a loving confrontation. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to help somebody see their own sin that they're blind to. And let me be clear on this. If you're going around confronting sin without first praying over your heart and praying over the person that, you're, that you are confronting, then you are treading on dangerous ground. Jesus has plenty of words to say for a hypocritical and pharisaical heart. And we, we do this. Our confrontation needs to be sourced in the obedience of God, and it needs to be for the purpose of drawing your brother or sister into obedience to God. If you find yourself in this situation, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our sermon on Matthew 21 from a few months back. Uh, It gives some awesome practicals for how you are to walk through a confrontation. Um, But regardless, your first step is to pray for your heart and to pray for the person that you're going to be confronting. All right, guys, I hope that some of these practicals have been helpful for us. I'm going to pray for us Um, before we get into our time of response here. So would you guys bow your heads and pray with me?